1: Second hour is here, Friday edition, OutKick 360. Across the OutKick network with Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, David Reed, the chairman of the board. Glad everyone's with us today. Hit us up on Twitter, at OutKick360. You can uh, chime in on the poll questions for tomorrow morning, OutKick the Tailgate, live in College Station. Chad and I will meet Jill Savage there, Clay Travis as well, uh, at Texas A&M as a host to Alabama. Uh, which team the bigger is the biggest disappointment so far this season? Is it LSU or Texas A and M? You can chime in there. That's poll question number one, and we're tweeting out number two right now. College football's biggest coaching villain. You have some options here, and one of them is just other because there's maybe maybe there's someone we left off this list, but there's James Franklin, Nick Saban, Jim Harbaugh, Lane Kiffin. The vitriol. That's,
0: that's a pretty good four-pack.
1: The the vitriol there it, you know, sparked difference of uh, emotions based on who you root for and really who you just don't like personality-wise. Uh, to me, there's a clear choice. We'll discuss this tomorrow. We'll see if it all matches up uh, with uh, your vote. You can vote now. Outkick360 on Twitter is where you can find us and join the discussion for Outkick the Tailgate. NFL games, uh, plenty of them uh, that are... Really good matchups, strength on strength this weekend. We'll get into that. Uh, college football discussion continues with uh, Bobby Carpenter from OutKick.com. He will join us in roughly 15 minutes um, where you can read his, his great columns. He's also on the, the YouTube channel for OutKick. There's a subsection there, an extra channel for college football discussion. Bobby does a great job with his weekly uh, video vlog uh, that's available for you with the OutKick channel on YouTube. Um, Chad, looking at uh, some of the headlines today, of course the Seahawks fall yesterday, last night, and Russell Wilson two and three. Uh, yeah, they're now two and three. He's and having an MRI today. They've gone back and forth on on some of the, the matchups week to week. They have Wilson's never lost three in a row as the starter. MRI uh, will determine the severity of that sprained finger. But um, with Geno Smith, it's a different offense than with Russell Wilson. Um, and you, you wonder, well, I was thinking this last night as he's hurt, um, and they had the pregame interview with, with Aaron Andrews, and she brought this up with them about the, the off-season discussion. You know, there was a lot of off-season discussion about Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson and it, whether or not he would be traded, what his future holds in Seattle. What's to the, what's the come of that, you know? And with him being banged up now and again, it doesn't sound like he's going to miss the season or anything like that. But it affects where they end up in, in playoff scenario-wise. It affects, especially in that division, what they're going to do with the slow start at 2-3. and three. Are we about to see Russell Wilson out of Seattle? Or is that all just a bunch of talk that is never going to come to fruition?
2: They do not have a bad schedule ahead here. They're at the Steelers, home against the Saints, at the Jaguars. Uh, then you would think he'd be pretty healthy by the time they go to the Packers against the Cardinals. Um, so they're still afloat at two and three. Um, I don't know everything about him being disgruntled, quieted down. So well, what's he disgruntled and about? And I think that's exactly?
0: that's the that's the nature of the season starting. Well,
2: right, too. but Rodgers didn't quiet down until the very start of the season which was an extreme example, but I I, I don't even remember what he was upset about.
0: Well, just the direction of
1: the franchise, the difference between the two situations, Paul is Russell Wilson actually speaks to his head coach in the off season. Yes. And they got together, they met and they talked it out. Like,
2: like everybody should do.
1: Yeah. That's the difference. That's why it led all the way up to the season with Aaron Rodgers is he wasn't speaking to those guys. Yeah. Um, but, but
2: he was in Hawaii playing the ukulele,
1: you know, I mean, yeah, exactly. (laughs) exactly. Um, I, I made the comment that you know everything is a struggle with the Raiders. It's it's very it's a very similar scenario. and I, I know it's a one-score league week to week. I'm talking about just style of play. Seattle is a it they do a great job of winning, especially at home. But they are built. Their mentality is we are going to run the football. Our defense is going to stop you, and it's built a little different defensively. They they are built from the back front forward with their secondary leading things and leading the charge. But my point is it's always going to be a run-based philosophy, no matter who's calling plays, because that's the organizational system is we're going to run the football. And then, oh, by the way, fourth quarter, Russell Wilson makes something happen, pulls something out of the hat. And that's, I think he's, he's looking around going, we have to get beyond this.
0: Well, and it's, uh, I I talked to Armando Salguero yesterday and asked him, who's the odd team out in the NFC West? And we're all thinking it was San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo's injury, losing to Seattle, Trey Lance struggled coming in there. And now after last night happens, I'm thinking maybe it's Seattle based on how long Russell Wilson's out. And now that they're two and three on the season, because with all those great teams, that division, someone's going to fall to clear last place. I feel like it, at some point. And is it gonna be right now we're thinking them. Seattle or San Francisco? I'm
2: I'm watching that injury and thinking it's probably Seattle now. I think it was gonna be them even with him healthy. I don't know. I, I'm just trying to think, is there any team that has gotten less out of its talent in terms of champion? I mean, that team should have won two Super Bowls. Malcolm Butler got in the right. way there. Right. And then overall talent over the lifespan of Russell Wilson's uh, reign there, the payoff has not been sufficient. I mean,
0: they got a Super Bowl. Right. I'm never going to say that. I, you know, we, we, We're here in Nashville around the Titans who've never won a Super Bowl. So they well, got, they've they got never plenty been... out of that talent. Well, the Packers won no. one Super Bowl there in Ryan. Exactly. exactly. No, but, there's but, another but, one.
2: But they haven't gotten enough either, and there's not enough talk uh, about that. Brett Favre's Packers didn't get enough out of their yeah. talent either. But I think Seattle doesn't get discussed about it as much for the reason Seattle doesn't get discussed as much as it should. It's got the small market syndrome, plus it's out there.
1: Which NFL divisions, would you go to FanDuel right now and bet, are already over? We're four weeks in, and I think you could say four. Buffalo is winning their division. Yep, absolutely. That's number one. Dallas? The Titans are winning the South. Yep. I mean, it, it, it's that bad to yeah.
2: me. Uh, even though the Titans are not good. Right. I mean, it's really something.
1: Dallas. Dallas
2: isn't the third. Runaway.
1: Green Bay. And there are four divisions that, to me, we're just starting October, and I can, I would, I would bet at FanDuel right now they're done.
2: Yeah, and the thing about three of those divisions, at least, AFC South, NFC East, NFC North, is the lack of competition. I mean, who, who do you like in any of those divisions to make a charge for second well, place?
1: I, I know. I know. And it goes – And look, before you rewind the tape on this awful announcing or whoever it might be, I'm doing this based on just a blank canvas We're in week four injury situation is what it is. Like, I realize that if Ryan Tannehill gets hurt and tears his ACL – Everything changes. That changes things for the South. I would still put my money on the Titans winning the division as we sit here and as things sit today – and that goes to the overall arcing point here of, of the, <laughs> there are some really good teams this year and
0: some really bad ones. And, and there the, are some really bad divisions. I mean, not just a, an individual team. We're talking yeah. about a cluster of teams in the same division that are all simultaneously really bad. The AFC South is right at the top of the list. While but, the
2: AFC North is really good, while the NFC West is really good.
0: But here's the brilliance
1: of the league and how the salary cap sets this conversation up. There are also some three and one teams right now that I didn't mention that are in contention to win their divisions that are not over yet. Like, for instance, Tampa Bay is three and one, but there's some questions about where they sit compared to Carolina in their division. Um, or can New Orleans turn things around and really surprise some people? Denver is three and one, Vegas is three and one uh is another example. Cincinnati at 3 and 1 in the north trying to keep pace with the Ravens uh, and Browns. there's there a there's a lot of good football, don't get me wrong, but I as I was looking through the divisions last night, I was surprised that to me four are already settled. Now that doesn't mean playoffs are settled for the wild card spots and positioning there, but I think we know at least four divisional winners for the postseason.
0: And if every if the it's league just disappointing. Well, if the league had their way, you know, every division would be broken out like this. There'd be mm-hmm. a really good team. There'd be a team contending with that really good team. There would be just an okay team. That's a and then there'd be a really maybe. bad team. Yeah, you know. But the problem is, it's so out of whack because you got NFC West, everyone's really good. You know, then you've got the AFC South where you've got one a decent team and three really bad teams. It's just it's more out of whack this year than I think. It's unusual because last groupings. year, remember, the NFC East was the talk for being so bad, right? That was the one division we all circled a year ago and said, that NFC is whoever wins, Mm -hmm. it's like a mercy killing. Whoever gets in the playoffs out of that division, we got a couple of those divisions this year. And then we've got a couple divisions that are way too stacked based on the way it should be.
2: It's just uh, odd groupings that you don't usually see. It's usually one really bad division, one really good division. This year, it's more skewed.
1: 3 and one teams. We're buying Tampa, right? Buy or sell Denver. Sell. Sell, even with Bridgewater back. Sell. I I'm not selling them yet. I don't. I I'm not saying I'm buying in, but it's not it's not definitive for me because Bridgewater has been steady Teddy. They their first interception of the season was Drew Locke. He comes into the game for an injured and concussed Teddy Bridgewater and throws a pick. I mean it's just typical uh, Broncos style there with the quarterback that didn't win the starting job. Vegas.
0: I'm, I'm buying. By. That's the problem with for me for Denver, Vegas, and the Chargers. I'm buying right, right. now, and Same I'm here. not buying Denver. I can't buy all
2: of them. Same here. Third place. Denver's team that's defense not has contend.
1: allowed 40, 47 points through four games. They could be we good. We're just defensively, touting the Bills' defense. They're not
2: going to score enough in the long run. I don't think.
1: Carolina at buying. three and one.
2: Buying, I, I think they've endured back endured some tough things already. Aggressively went to fix cornerback. And they're getting one of the best players in the game back. I I still I picked them to be a wild card team. Yeah. I think they're going to be a wild card. I'm team.
0: buying that defense is legit.
2: And you've come around. You didn't no. like them at the start.
0: I'm, um, I'm
1: I'm I'm buying Vegas because there's now seven playoff teams. Vegas is always with with. They Gruden, still
2: could fade late. That's Gruden has
1: always been the seventh playoff team. Yeah. He's been one game out of be, getting the sixth spot. Right. So he's. He's yeah. getting in this year. <laughs> they expanded it. Um, for, this is it the, Gruden, the Gruden rule. It but suits him. Is, everything. Is just such a grind with them, which um, gets
2: you tired.
0: Yes,
1: yes. Cincinnati at three and one.
0: I'm selling, but I want to buy. I'm I've, buying. I've been consistent the whole time. I want to buy I, Cincinnati. I want to be excited about them. I want to get, I think, get excited about watching Joey Burrow. Yeah. I'm just not ready to
1: buy. I'm yet. on the
2: fence. Okay.
1: Well, I mean, I, that's I, fair. I'm
2: with Chad. I want to buy, but I'm on the I'm,
0: fence. I'm, I'm
1: buying that they are a year ahead in their progress. That's, that's impressive. Fair. That's fair. I, that, I would buy that, impressive. too. And, and because of that, I think they're a playoff. But game.
0: their, pro, their process them, was so low to start. They, the they started fact, at such a low point that I still am not buying. The fact, overall. Paul,
1: that they went on the road and won two weeks ago at Pittsburgh told me that mentally that locker room is ready to take a nice step. I'm not saying that they're winning a playoff game. I think they're in it. Um, because that's their first divisional win outside the month of December with Zach Taylor as their head coach. It's
2: very that was a very good win for them, but it also was a very big indictment of Pittsburgh, who we all agree <laughs> we would have sold a couple weeks ago already.
1: Coming up, time to uh dive into some great college football matchups. Bobby Carpenter is waiting in the wings. Uh we know the top games across the country. Chad laid those out. We'll give you the scouting report and analysis of these matchups. Straight ahead. Bobby Carpenter from OutKick next on OutKick 360. Hit the poll questions. OutKick 360 on Twitter is where you can find us. Our two for tomorrow for OutKick the tailgate. Which team is a bigger disappointment so far, LSU or Texas A&M? And college football's biggest coaching villain, you can weigh in. At OutKick360 is where you can find us on Twitter. About to be joined by Bobby Carpenter of OutKick.com. We'll preview some of the top matchups across college football, including uh,
0: one of his specialties, the Big Ten. He has got some good Big Ten games this week uh, to talk about. He wrote about it at OutKick. You can read that, and uh, we're about to talk to him about those games. Bobby Carpenter, you can read his work at OutKick.com. Follow him on Twitter
1: at bcarp3, uh, as well as check out the OutKick YouTube channel uh, for more videos from uh, the the former NFL and college football linebacker. Bobby, great to have you on the show, man.
3: Hey, great to be with you guys again on Friday. This is becoming a nice little regular deal. Yeah. I
1: don't, we, don't, we don't hate it. We don't hate it. Your work has been excellent, uh, and we're thrilled that you're a part uh, of the network. Penn State, Iowa, uh, how pumped are you to sit back and enjoy this game tomorrow?
3: I'm excited about it, and I was even more excited, honestly, to hear Clay call this the biggest game in college football this weekend. I mean, I never thought <laughs> I would hear that from a guy who's so big in the SEC to actually admit that you know, two Big Ten teams – might actually garner some interest. And the fact is that this is the first time there has been a battle of top five matchup, uh, top five matchups within the Big Ten that didn't include Michigan or Ohio State in like 55, 60 years. It's been all the way back to like the 60s. So you know, the fact that this is going on right here, it's pretty good. I think it's great for uh, college football. It's great for the Big Ten. Um, and I think it's nice to have a little bit of diversity. So long that we've been debating – you know, about college playoff expansion. And, you know, it's the same four or five teams every year. And this year, there's a lot of different teams that are near the top of that heap. And so I enjoy the fact that there's a little bit of uh, diversity there and the fact that, you know what, there's some intrigue. There's some things that can happen. So when the playoff rankings come out, it's not going to be, all right, well, Bama and then Clemson, Ohio State, OU, Georgia, where are they going to be? it's just kind of mixing and matching those schools. Like, you're going to have some different teams in here and it's going to look different after this weekend based upon how some of these games shake out. It's not as hard for Clay as you
2: think if you know the depth of his affection for James Franklin to uh, to rank Penn, a Penn State game as number one. Can Penn State shift this game to put enough on Spencer Petras to, to make a, a, a difference? And then what would happen?
3: So here's the thing. If you look at how Iowa's been winning, it's it's very similar to Georgia. Like They have a great defense. They run the ball now Petrus has a little bit better passing numbers a lot of it because he had short fields against maryland and you know but they forced a ton of turnovers and given them short fields i don't know if spencer petras can drive the football down the field consistently against the penn state defense that's pretty good and so it'll come down to this iowa team for them to win great defense Limiting Penn State's running game, which really hasn't been that great. Like I looked at the Auburn game and went back and rewatched that, the Penn State really wasn't able to run the football that well. And so I'll use that as kind of a good comp there. But so a lot of that's going to fall on Deshaun Clifford to make sure they're continuing to get first downs. But if if Penn State's able to score, hit some shots over the top with Jahan Dotson, and Iowa gets into like a chase game, that's not how they want to play. They want to get the lead. They want to sit on it. They want to pound the football you know, look a lot like football did in 1990, 1980, 1970. It's not flashy. They're not going to sling it all over the place. But in doing so, that's their style, and that's how they win. Penn State is a more talented team. And it's still relatively early in the college football season. You you haven't got a lot of these big conference games yet. But the one thing the Big Ten did with opening up with some of their conference games is Penn State had to travel to Wisconsin. Now, Wisconsin hasn't proven to be a great team this year, but Camp Randall was rocking. Their defense is really good, and they were able to go in there and get a win, and then they were able to kind of consolidate that with a win uh, at home against Auburn, and I would argue that they're probably the most battle-tested team in college football right now based upon the fact they have a really nice road win, and then they played a really good team from the SEC West, where it was able to win that game at home as well.
1: Penn State boasts the second-best red zone defense in the country, Bobby. What's the magic number for Iowa Against that Nittany Lions defense, where do you where do you think they have to be on the scoreboard scoreboard to win this game? Is it is it as low scoring as we're expecting it to be?
3: I mean, who knows? I thought when I watched Iowa Maryland, I thought Maryland would be you know a little bit of Iowa's kryptonite. They've got some elite speed on the edges, and there was only a three point spread. You had an unranked team and the fifth ranked team in the country, and the spread was like three three and a half. So I'm like, okay, Maryland's gonna be able to score a little bit. Maybe they'll be able to run Iowa out of just running the ball and forcing them to take shots downfield and and play football a way that they really don't like to. I look at it like this. Maybe not the magic number for Iowa. I would say the magic number for Penn State, if they can get to 27, it's over. I think 24 possibly, but I just see this being a low-scoring game with a lot of ball control going back and forth, and it's going to be dominated by the defenses. There'll be a couple of breakout plays, but I'm curious to see if Iowa – Can continue to force those turnovers at a rapid clip because they have not been forced to really drive the full length of the field in any of their big games. And that includes, you know, Iowa State earlier in the year.
0: You know, Bobby, here's what's crazy about this game for Iowa from their perspective. Right now, everyone's got Alabama and Georgia in the college football playoff at one and two. But if Iowa wins this game and you look at their schedule in the Big Ten West, they got a trip to Nebraska at the end of the season. But outside of that, is Iowa the clear number three team in the playoff if they win this game, even if they were to lose in the Big Ten championship game with what they have left?
3: Well, I think you have to look at the fact that you know they have the nice, non conference win against Iowa State. Now, Iowa just faltered a little bit, but I don't think they're going to end up being like a four-loss team by the end of the year. And heck, they may end up being able to rally and you know, challenge you know, Oklahoma potentially because they look very, very vulnerable as well. But they've got that if they beat Penn state in this game, then you would have a signature top five win. And then all they have to do is hold serve. They, you know, Nebraska is playing a lot better. They lost to Illinois to open the season. They struggle a lot. They got Michigan coming to town this weekend. If they beat Michigan, I think that that's proven. Scott Frost has maybe turned the ship a little bit, uh, but Iowa, they're, they're primed and set up. Now. I don't know if they could beat Alabama. I think they could play with Iowa because they play a very similar or play with Georgia. Cause they play a similar style, but, I'm not fully sold on Georgia yet. It's the same reason as Iowa. I have to see these teams be able to throw the football and have some success because for the last 10 years, it's been really, really tough to win at at the high level of college football. Once you get to the playoff and talent is all kind of even-ish, you have to be able to push it down the field. Nick Saban realized that a decade ago, but somehow we're seeing some of these teams have success right now, you know, winning like they did 20 years back.
0: Let's go to Nebraska and them hosting Michigan this week. Um, what do you think about the matchup, Bobby? But not just the teams in this game and the potential. You got Michigan undefeated. Jim Harbaugh was under a lot of pressure coming into the season. We know everything going on with Scott Frost and the pressure on him right now. How big of a game is this for both of these head coaches to get a
3: win? So Scott Frost, this is this is huge because if you look at it, you know they've been close. Everybody thought they were going to get blown out against Oklahoma. This guy included because they hadn't really done anything and they'd lost to Illinois. And then you're beating teams that you should beat by 50. And they did that. So they lose Oklahoma. And when your your best win is a good, is a great loss. Like that's tough. Then they play Michigan State really tight, lost to him in overtime. You know, could have and possibly should have won that game. And then last week they bludgeoned Northwestern, who's not great, but their offense is starting to look more efficient. When Adrian Martinez doesn't turn the football over, And you know plays like people expect them to. They're a pretty good team, and that defense is elevated a lot. And here's the thing: this is a tough matchup for Michigan because Nebraska is pretty good at stopping the run, and that's what Michigan loves to do. Jim Harbaugh wants to line up and try to rush for 300 yards, and he's been fairly successful at doing that. You know, but they they still didn't run the ball all that well against Wisconsin last week, and they didn't really pull away until the end. Rutgers was able to limit them to about a buck twelve, buck twenty on the ground. You know, and they really didn't look great in the second half against them. You know, against Wisconsin, they were able to get some flea flickers going, take some shots, and have some success. But I'm still not sold on that passing game with Cade McNamara. So I think that Iowa or Nebraska, rather, is set up in a great situation to be able to knock off Michigan. The line's really tight, but I feel like I feel like this game is almost a toss-up, and it would not shock me in the least if Nebraska comes out and gets this win, because they're going to have the full you know, weight of Husker Nation behind them. It's going to be a big game. And if it's close down the stretch, you might start feeling the heat a little bit if you're on Michigan sidelines.
1: Bobby Carpenter with us. You can read his work at outkick.com. Follow him on Twitter at bcarp3. Bobby, who do you trust more to have a bounce-back performance after a tough loss, Arkansas or Ole Miss?
3: That's a good one right there. I mean, I know Lane Kiffin trusts himself more. Cause I mean, that guy, he's amazing stuff. He puts out on social media and, you know, I don't know if you guys saw this. He had some tweet out about being wrong nine, being right nine times and wrong once. And people laugh at you. I'm like, Lane, you're out there <laughs> calling for an upset against Bama. When you, when you don't produce and you get boat raced, people are going to bring that up. You can't, you can't call for it and then not deliver on a high level. You know, I have a tendency to believe, uh, that it'll be old miss just because I have more confidence, you know, in that offense. Um, you know, what they've done at Arkansas Pittman, it just it really makes me wonder how good A&M and Texas are because Georgia thoroughly dominated that game and they dominated at the line of scrimmage. And so I just have questions now, you know, about how good maybe A&M, how good Texas those two teams are. And so I think Arkansas is good. I just think that Ole Miss is more talented and they're probably more explosive. And they ran in to a team that can both run and pass the ball. Oh, and by the way, play pretty good defense is still pretty one-dimensional on offense, so I think that the tougher matchup was for Ole Miss. They are able to get some stuff going a little bit in the second half, and so I think that they'll bounce back a little bit quicker.
0: Bobby, living in Ohio, you know about Mark Stoops and his success recruiting that state in, in, to Kentucky. They're undefeated. They, they have a shot as a small favorite against LSU to be undefeated going to Athens, Georgia next week. I still don't know exactly what this Kentucky team is, though, with their struggles to pass the football also, even after a huge win at home over Florida. What do you think about this Mark Stoops-led Kentucky team? What do you think about their chances against an LSU team that right now is just trying to keep their coach employed?
3: Well, I think last week, if we go back, I think I talked about that Florida-Kentucky game being like sneaky underrated where, you know, this might be the time for Kentucky to be able to pull that thing off because Mark Stoops... He's done a heck of a job, like him and Luke Fickle, because Lexington and uh, Cincinnati aren't that far from each other, and they've done a great job recruiting kind of the same areas and bringing in a lot of talent that maybe, you know, the Ohio State's, Penn State's, you know, Tennessee's, Bama, like they've kind of overlooked some of those areas. And so Mark's done a terrific job. I think they beat LSU. I mean, LSU, they've got some issues, man. And it starts with their head coach. I love Coach O. I don't know if he's fully equipped emotionally to be able to to be a head coach it's awesome when you're winning and you can be the guy that's big and chesty and you know talking trash to everybody but when you're losing it just doesn't land as well and you know he can I feel like he's starting to feel the pressure feel the heat at this point in time and I think what Mark Stoops has done is slowly build a winner let's be honest you know Kentucky's never really had expectations and they should be favored I think by more than they are in this game against LSU based upon how they've played but you know what? People still look at it as like, okay, it's UK. They're a basketball school. And like that, that's real. That's real in the minds and perceptions of people. I think Kentucky wins this game. I don't know if they can beat Georgia, but I'll tell you this. I think the game will be one of the shorter games in college football. It's going to be smash mouth. And uh, I think it'll be entertaining to watch if you like a good old school running attack. But like, I can't wait to see the total point score for that thing. Cause I think it'll probably be about 40.
2: We had a chat here early in the week about, College quarterbacking, starting in the SEC with Bryce Young and Matt Corral, obviously very solid. After that, not not great grades in the SEC, and and we extended it nationwide. And after that, not a lot of names jumping off, off the highlight screens at, at you. What do you think about the state of college football quarterbacking broadly right well, now?
3: You start looking at some of the elite programs, you know, the big blue bloods like, OK, USC. All right. I mean, quarterback, they're struggling out there. Your head coach is getting fired. Um, you look at Ohio State, you know, C.J. Stroud, young player, struggling a little bit. You look out at, you know, Clemson, D.J. Uangalele U- 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 like he's struggled. Um, I think a lot of this comes from the fact that even though, you know, some parts of the country, they played more games than others last year there still really wasn't a whole lot of a spring ball heading in. And so you like start pulling out pieces of development from these guys and it it ultimately can affect them down the road. And we got so used to, you know, Trevor Lawrence being out there. Like you look at all, there's five first round quarterbacks drafted, Mac Jones, and it just seems like Kyler Murray, all these guys that we've just been able to churn and churn and churn at these blue blood programs and their teams are playing for national championships. Well, you know, sometimes they miss on guys and then sometimes it takes guys a little bit longer to develop then maybe what people like, and they're not super comfortable with it. And, you know, Mac Jones, I mean, he didn't really play early in his career, but when he was given the opportunity, he had a great team around him and took advantage of it, and he was prepared to go. And I think now we put so much pressure on some of these guys to come in and be great early on, and it's just not the reality that that's going to happen a lot in college football. And so we saw a nice run of it, and maybe this is a year where it's a little bit of a reset, comes back down to earth, and then next year you start to see some of these young guys flourish again.
0: You know, Bobby, I think some of the problem is huge expectations on guys that just haven't quite lived up to it. Spencer Rattler comes to mind at Oklahoma, and that's where I want to go next. Oklahoma and Texas this weekend. Really nice job for Steve Sarkeesian's team battling back after a, an embarrassing loss at Arkansas. They've looked good since. This is another one of those close spreads. Oklahoma only a three-point favorite. What do you make of this, this Red River matchup?
3: You know, a lot of it's going to come down uh, to Spencer Rattler, what he's able to do. You know, when you're getting, when you're a highly recruited guy, and you're a star, and you're supposed to be. Th- we get the anoint to steal a line from Bill Parcells, like we get the anointing oil out so early that like Spencer Rattler was probably supposed to win two Heisman's and be the number one overall pick as soon as he was eligible, just like Baker and just like Kyler and all these guys before him. Heck, even Jalen Hurts was really good, you know, at Oklahoma, and we just we look and we try to just put these guys right there. Well, sometimes it takes a little bit of time. And so you're getting booed on your own field by your own fans. Like you're this guy probably never been booed in his life. Some of these guys have never even really had a coach tell them a crossword in their their lives because they've just been so good in the way that football is now. We don't coach guys quite as hard in high school as we used to. And so it's going to go there, go as far as Spencer Rattler can ultimately take them. In Oklahoma, their, their defense is much improved. Alex Grinch has done a really good job out there because they were riding their defense for some of those wins. You know, when you're Oklahoma, you're only scoring like 16 and 19 and 24 points. That's not very Oklahoma-ish, and you were still able to win those games. So Alex Grinch has done a pretty good job, but he will have his hands full trying to stop Bijan Robinson and what he's able to do on the ground. Spencer Rattler doesn't throw interceptions, looks efficient, doesn't have to score 35 points, and Alex Grinch can come out there and slow down that Texas rushing attack. I think Oklahoma wins, but it would not surprise me at all if if they lose this game based upon what you've watched over the last three or four weeks, because this isn't the same Oklahoma team that we've seen like the last four years that has the ability to score 60 points every time they're out on the field.
1: Well, we get a chance, Bobby, to to see what's real and what's what's not with both of these programs. To your point earlier about not knowing how good Texas is because of the way they played against Arkansas. You just mentioned the same could be said for Oklahoma. I went to FanDuel and I, I placed a bet, a money line bet on Texas for tomorrow. I don't think I'm crazy there. And what could be a toss-up matchup? But where has Texas improved since that snapshot that we saw against the Razorbacks?
3: Well, I mean, you think they, they got boat race, you know, a little bit by Arkansas, So I came up and they beat them up. Yeah. And th- there's been a problem at Texas going all the way back. You know, when Vince Young got there in 05, or took you know, took control of him. We played them at Ohio State. They were good. And they were physical, they were fast, and they had a lot of guys. And there's been this, you know, this aura around Texas where They've been recruiting these guys that are big-time five-star guys, and they come in and they're really entitled. But how tough are they? You know, they play some of these teams that get physical with them, and they they had skill guys. They have all these elite players. It's not like Texas recruiting has fallen off. It's not like Texas high school football isn't good. And it's just some of the guys that they were bringing in, how tough were they? And I can tell you this about Arkansas. They embody their coach. And a lot of times that happens for teams. They're a tough football team, and they went and physically beat them up and bullied them And we're able to pound the rock. And so I think what has happened a little bit is when you you get humbled, they didn't expect to lose that game. You get humbled. All of a sudden, then it forces you to take a good look in the mirror. I think that happened a little bit of Ohio State after they lost to Oregon. You're like, ah, we're tougher than these guys. We're better. Why? Because we always have been. Well, that's not a real reason. And so you get that culture. And all of a sudden, you've got to wipe that away. And it's been tough because it's Texas. It's been enduring for about a decade. And so maybe that was the point where finally they were able to turn it around. Because I, when I see a football team, they're a lot tougher. They do a better job running the ball. They're more physical on the defensive front. And they've got players. It was just a matter of developing that mentality. And it takes a little bit of time sometimes.
0: Bobby, I want to ask you about Josh Heupel in Tennessee. But from this perspective, they, they blew out Missouri. It was an impressive win. They broke some records offensively. They rushed for over 450 yards. All those things are great. The thing that has impressed me the much though, the, the most with Josh Heupel this season is how quickly this team has embraced his offensive philosophy and what they're doing. They're already playing faster than anyone else in the country, and he took over from an offensive coordinator in Jim Cheney that played as slow as anyone in the country. You've played at a great program in Ohio State. you played for multiple coaches in the NFL. It, how impressive is that when you see someone in year one already, regardless of result the rest of the way if Tennessee continues to play at this pace offensively are you impressed by that in year one with Josh Heupel and his offense
3: I am really impressed by it because it does take some time and we've never known Tennessee to be you know a team that goes out and fast pace fast pace like that that's not really something many people in the SEC have kind of done and so you're kind of changing the paradigm and so it's hard to come in here and sell guys on something they've never done before. Especially, it's not like Tennessee's been undefeated and they've been destroying teams. You know They've had some tough losses this year. And so when you're trying to change the culture and flip something over, the wins always make it easier. And now Tennessee, you know they're starting to play some good football and they're scoring points. But that's what the most impressive thing is to me about Josh Heupel is he's got those guys believing. They They believe in his process. And a lot of coaches, if you can get all your guys to buy in on it, you'll eventually begin to have success and you'll start to see that and guys will begin to follow even more. But it's that initial surge to kind of get over like, Coach, we've never done it like this. Uh, no one we really play does it like this. And you think you're going to come in here and just change it up and that you're smarter than everybody. And they may give you a couple of weeks, but if it doesn't work right away and you're not getting wins, guys can kind of fall out of favor. Well, what's been impressive is they've slowly built this thing and despite some tough early losses have kind of still stayed with it and I think that's a testament to Josh Heupel and the credibility he has with that locker room.
0: Uh,
1: two, two potential underdogs pulling the outright upset. So last week, Stanford beats Oregon. They're on the road tonight against Arizona State in what could be a preview of the Pac-12 championship game. Meanwhile, in Blacksburg, Virginia Tech has not beaten two ranked opponents at home since 2009. They've done that already against North Carolina. They have Notre Dame this weekend. Are you paying attention to either of those matchups for an upset chance tonight or tomorrow?
3: I'm looking a little bit, first of all, I I don't know what Stanford kind of is. They've been all over the place now. They've been getting a lot better and they've been improving. Um, They got a little bit of help against Oregon. I mean, I don't know if you guys were up late enough to see the end of that game. And, you know, calls are made, you got to live with them, but they they did get some assistance and they, they, they made the plays and they did what they needed to do. I, I think that Stanford probably takes care of business, you know, with, uh, with ASU Notre Dame is a little bit more interesting to me because watching them against Cincinnati, like Cincinnati dominated that game. And I'm curious what the quarterback situation is going to look like. Brian Kelly, you know, early in his career, if you remember him at Notre Dame, it's quarterback roulette. He's spinning the wheel all the time. And I'm curious if he, who he's going to ultimately settle on. Cause I think Drew Pine is their best answer. He's not the biggest guy, but he provides him enough athleticism to give him a little bit of a spark behind there behind center and run when he needs to. And he also looks to be a pretty adept thrower. And so I think he might be the guy. If they play him, I think they'll be fine. This team is good. They've got, you know, really solid skill on the outside. Their defense is pretty solid. Uh it's just going to come down to the function of, you know, can the quarterback make plays and can they protect enough because Cincinnati had him under siege.
1: You just kicking back watching all the games tomorrow
3: at home. Yeah. Just relaxing, man. It's been, uh, it's been nice to kind of sit and relax and watch games. I, I'm a huge fan of college football. And the one thing when you're out there working one game gentlemen, like it's really, it's tough. Cause I'll, I'll pop up an iPad and I'll watch a game while I'm calling a game. Yeah, and I don't yeah. think a lot of other people like that, but I'm like, Hey man, I want to see what's going on. You know, and if they don't have TVs in there, it's like, all right, so I'll have one, you know, playing. So it's nice to kind of sit back, relax. And, uh, Get multiple TVs up and be able to lock in on kind of all of it for just an entire day.
1: No doubt. We're we're swarming, uh, trying to find TVs at these different campuses each week. We're headed to College Station. Have you been to a game at College Station?
3: I have not. And I've heard it's great. I used to talk to Dat Wynn about it a long time, you know, Dallas Cowboy linebacker who played at AM. And he was always trying to get me down there in Dallas. That's probably one of my biggest regrets, is it's tough when you're playing to ever get away and try to do that. But you know, maybe trying to slide down there on a bye week. You know and check it out. I was able to go down to the fair and kind of see the festivities around um around the the Red River Shootout at one point. I never was in there for a game, but you know the 12th man and everything that goes on in College Station. It's it's a great environment, so I've been told. I just haven't been personally fortunate enough to witness it.
1: Bobby Carpenter, follow him on Twitter at bcarp3. Always great to have you on, man. We we appreciate this each Friday and uh let's catch up next week. Enjoy the college football slate.
3: Absolutely, gentlemen. You guys enjoy it too. Thanks.
1: Bobby Carpenter, read his work, outkick.com, and on the YouTube channel for Outkick. Coming up, some outright upset winners across the NFL this weekend. I've got those. Paul's got some great props for you. PK's props straight ahead as well on Outkick 360. He's be charged up for a big football weekend on Outkick 360. Glad you're with us. If you miss portions of the show, you can go find us on the YouTube page. Just search out Outkick 360. We hope you'll subscribe to the channel and uh, hit that alert button so that, you know, we go live each and every day, 2 o'clock Central, 3 o'clock Eastern, across the Outkick network. Uh, Last week, two for two on NFL upsets. Uh, Two two of four, excuse me. Two for two in my heart. Uh,
0: (laughs) Two for two.
1: It felt like two for two. Two of four, uh, 50%, which means I won some money. Uh, just picking the outright winner. Um, that's what I'm looking to go for here. Win two of the four, picking the underdog to win outright in the NFL, and, and win a little bit of cash on the back end after a solid uh, Sunday slate. Here are my four upset picks, straight up, uh, no spread here, straight up winners across the NFL. Uh, and I'm starting with the Cincinnati Bengals over the Green Bay Packers. This is a Bengals defense that allows the seventh fewest yards in the NFL. It's a streaking Packers offense, no doubt, with Aaron Rodgers. I am picking teams this week that I feel like have a prove-it type week, much like the Arizona Cardinals have treated the start of the season uh, with some of these matchups. Bengals over Packers. Bills over the Chiefs Sunday night. I feel like they have geared up for this game and built their roster to beat Kansas City. Baltimore's only already been able to do that and get over the hurdle. Uh, Lamar Jackson admitted to getting the monkey off his back by beating Kansas City earlier this year. I think the Bills do it as well. They're three-point underdogs on the road at Arrowhead. Browns over the Chargers. Uh, And not just because they're the road team, because road teams right now are winning two more games than the home teams to this point in the season. Uh, It's the fact that I, I think their offense travels. They average 177 rushing yards per game. The Chargers' defense, while good, not great against the run, I think Cleveland, despite Baker Mayfield's uh, injury, they do enough to win this game in what could be a, a game-of-the-week type matchup. And then Washington over New Orleans. New Orleans is on the road. They're the road favorite against Washington. I, I, I'm buying into Taylor Heineke at, at home. His home play has been strong. Uh, I think the crowd gets behind him there. And Washington's defense against Jameis Winston and the Saints. Uh, I've mentioned in their two losses he's been sacked seven times. I'm buying that Washington's defense rushes the passer. I'm taking Washington straight up at home over New Orleans. I
2: think you got a good chance at hitting half of those. I like the Bills over the Chiefs um especially and I like Washington over New Orleans. Hmm. Um Chargers le- that- I like the the Browns over the Chargers the least cuz I have yeah. real concerns in this first game with uh with with the quarterback having the 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 Mayfield having the shoulder as significant as it is, and I just have a, a bad feeling about him first time through. I, I'm for all four of these because <laughs> I just went to
0: FanDuel and placed an individual bet on all four of them on the money line. Uh, I, as as the graphic went look, up and I was talking about it, I was you guys placing know. my bet. So I, I I hope all four of
1: them hit. I have, I have a love affair with Joe Burrow. So uh, we I'm, all I'm picking the Bengals over the Packers. Paul, is it
0: because he looks like Macaulay Culkin and you love Home Alone also? Is that uh, part of maybe, it? Maybe Burrow? that's part
2: of it. So Paul, I've been playing. Send the, us the Let's get some props. Going I've been here. playing uh, with pretty good success. I drop a little bit of money on multiple things in in one category. I'll bet this too. And oftentimes it's this category: um, who's going to have the biggest receiving day in the league, yardage wise, on Sunday? So these are the three guys I'm playing this week: most receiving yards on Sunday of Week Five. Stefan Diggs is plus nineteen hundred. Uh, he's going against Kansas City in this game we're all imagining might be a shootout. Kansas City 27th against the pass. They gave up 113 to Marquise Brown, 122 to Mike Williams, 122 to Devontae Smith. Darren Waller at plus 2,700. He's targeted a mm, ton. Ton. And uh, Chris Godwin, I'm going with the second receiver for the Bucks against Miami, which covers well, except Xavier Howard's got a shoulder and a groin. Byron Jones has a quad and an Achilles. Huh. They're hobbled back there, and I could see Tom Brady picking that apart a little bit. You know, you throw a couple bucks at these rates, and you hit one of them, and you're, you you make up your whole. Put a day's dollar rate. on each of them. Why not? I put two fifty on each of them.
1: Two hundred fifty dollars on oh. each of them. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I put I'll put five on each. I'm going big. Look at you.
1: Let's do it. Five Let's on do each. It. Most receiving I like yards. It. I like I like how uh, in each week Paul will give us his props, BK's props. Um, it doesn't always go receiving yards here, but you've had success with this. I've had
2: success on receiving yards. I've hit uh, two weeks big.
1: The Vols hit big last week in Missouri. They flew out of St. Louis elated with how <laughs> Heifel's offense played in in Columbia, Missouri. What happens tomorrow against the team from Columbia, South Carolina? We preview Tennessee, South Carolina with Austin Price from VolQuest.com as we kick off the final hour of OutKick 360. That is all straight ahead, live across the OutKick Network. (laughs)